Welcome back to the EchoCast, a podcast about video game news, speculation, and reviews, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Bon, and this week we'll be talking about E3 getting cancelled, Dragon Age updates, the CMA relaxing on Xbox, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, review it on Spotify or iTunes, and on the YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like the video, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or just to say hello. A big thank you to supporter-level patrons PK, The Don, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel. You should be able to do that in the description below. Gaming news. This week we have eight stories. E3 2023 has been canceled. Uh, Read pop and the ESA, uh, broke the official news of the cancellation before that there was some pre-reporting from people who had gotten statements and released that info and there was basically uh, an assumption for a few weeks at least that this was going to happen if you think back to ubisoft dropping out of the show that was kind of the death knell they were kind of the first ones to spark off a bunch of others dropping out, including Sega um, and ones that had never really committed to being there at all, basically got quiet. It's a real bummer. Um, I was really excited for E3 this year. Um, I, I think that E3 is just something special, even if it's just the aura of it or the, the nostalgia of it. Um, I guess I was one of the few people who actually kind of liked the 2021 digital event. It was the best they could do, you know, so obviously it wasn't what we all wanted necessarily, but it was better than nothing. I thought Greg Miller and the co-host did a great job and I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I know some people ragged on it, but if you compare that to what we got last year, which was no E3, I think it was better. Um, And and last year we did have the Summer Game Fest by Jeff Keighley, but that's just a different event, and we're going to talk about that, I promise. So what's interesting to me, and I'm curious to see when it comes out, is there's already been some interviews and stuff done. We know that Reed Pop was going to run this E3 show, and there is, uh, there's some of their employees were somewhat vocal on Twitter this whole time, you know, about their plans and all that. Um, and it seems like the person who was in charge the most had shown off that they were like going to build a bar in the middle of the show, uh, the showcase. They were going to have different areas for you know, industry and for fans and stuff like that. It looked really good. Um, and I've seen some people being like, well, E3 has been dead forever. Uh, they they just they wouldn't change. Well, if someone says that, that means they just weren't paying attention this year. The show had basically everything I had ever heard of people saying, well, well, E3 needs to do this and needs to do that. They were doing all of it. You can tell that they contacted all of the people they wanted to be there, got their wish list, and were doing it. And 
then those people backed out. I've seen a lot of people saying that, oh, Jeff Keighley killed the E3. I don't think Jeff Keighley or the Summer Game Fest had anything to do with it, to be totally honest. It's not like Jeff Keighley is getting all of the big names that we hoped that E3 would or that E3 needed. It just kind of seems like a lot of companies are probably still in COVID mode, are still not quite ready to go all in on in-person events, and some just may not see the worth of them anymore. I think after a couple years of doing their own showcases and stuff, even if they don't have quite the impact of E3, even if people don't really like them as much, they're probably saving, you know, I'm sure it costs 5%. Uh, of what E3 costs for them to do, to just do a pre-recorded showcase and put it on YouTube and everyone watches it anyways. So I, I get it to a point. I, I still think that just the current environment where games are still getting delayed, we're still in a tough spot. The simple idea of making content for an E3 or even a showcase right now is probably pretty daunting for most of the companies even now. I think that they just were maybe a year too early. And I'm, I'm really curious, like one of the head people at Read Pop even posted, like we did everything we thought we had to do. And the people that we were playing to, the publishers and devs just weren't into it this year. And I think that's gonna be the main story moving forward. Now, we may find out more that there were deals that fell through, things like that. Uh, we'll just have to wait for that, I guess. but. I think more than anything, it just, it's just a bummer. I, I don't think that the three, the E3 that's in most of our minds has ever actually existed, but I think the thing that a lot of people like about E3 did exist and, and still could even now, even after this has been canceled, I think people want a somewhat organized week of gaming Christmas where we know who's presenting on what day at what time. And, and what I think is gonna happen or could happen in the long run, say next year or the year after, is E3 could scale way back and not even do like the convention center, maybe do some smaller get togethers or something. And instead of trying to be this big trade show, try to just be the bringer together where they say, yeah, cool, Xbox, you don't wanna do a show, you don't wanna do a, uh, you know, a $3 million present, you know, a uh, booth, fine. Do your own showcase, do it at the, the Microsoft theater, whatever, but do it on Tuesday at five. And then, okay, Sony, yeah, obviously do your own thing, cool, but do it on Thursday at two. Uh, Square Enix, Ubisoft, EA, you know, like, let's get this, and then, and then that would be great. I, I would love that. Um, and the reason I want that is because I've seen a lot of reactions to this and it's mostly memeing. It's mostly people like stomping on the grave of E3 and that's fine. I mean, if that's your thing, then that's cool. I guess that's that's your, your prerogative, not mine. But what I, what I don't think people are realizing is that like, like so many uh, of, of the folks in the gaming, um, like, the creators and journalists and podcasters and stuff, a lot of them, especially the high profile ones, like really like Jeff Keighley. And he seems like a nice guy and he offers them a lot of access, I'm sure. So like, I get it, but like, 
there's when I see these people saying like, oh, Jeff Keighley killed E3, like how his shows definitely have not killed E3. The Summer Game Fest 2022 definitely did not kill E3. It was terrible. It was bad. It was way too long Had way too many ads Had almost no exciting announcements. Um, it was just a Jeff Keighley show. It was him trying to buddy pal with celebrities and high profile game devs and letting us see him do that basically. And so that isn't what killed it. So, you know, the things I talked about before, just probably bad timing publishers and stuff not being ready to spend that money not really sure if that's the direction they want to go that seems more likely and in the shows like definitely didn't kill it because like Jeff Keighley's never gonna have the same aura and nostalgia obviously and just the never the same impact because what what Jeff Keighley's gonna do is show you the Jeff Keighley experience he he's not really worried about having this big organized thing like he's even attached his name to some of these individual showcases like I think Ubisoft showcase he's like saying as part of Summer Game Fest but like I'm sure he called Ubisoft and was like hey can I say that you're part of my thing and they're like okay sure whatever but it's not like he's doing anything with them he's just gonna retweet them which is worth something especially with E3 gone but I just it's weird the reactions are weird because they're it's it's very like hive mindy and it's just the same jokes over and over again and it's like okay the the one group I do give exception to are the group of people who who were like completely doxxed a few years ago by by e, the by the ESA and all of is a bunch of journalists had their phone numbers addresses a bunch of personal information released and and all of those people dunk away like obviously like you know you're probably more than happy and then even to a point some of the devs i've seen who have i've talked about horror stories of crunching for months before e3 to just give a, a cinematic or or a or a demo for a game that actually hurt the game because it took away devs from working on the real game to just doing this this demo or this 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 playable experience and so like those people i get it but that's not who i'm talking about i'm talking about a lot of other people who it's like again like it's all in good fun to a point but it's also very hateful and i think jeff Keeley's really the worst about it he uses the summer game fest in his own account to post all these like i mean some people are like "Ooh, he's being so petty it's so cool but like it was kind of cool the first time but now it just looks like it's just like ugly it's just like okay bro like okay you won which is something i've seen too like he didn't win it's just he's doing a smaller thing and the other guys shot too far basically and like if you know about how he kind of got involved in the industry with keely like his dad invented the imax camera and that whole experience and so he comes from wealth he definitely has a lot of nepotism helping him out where his dad had a lot of connections and was able to get him into the industry he's he, he brags about being like a games journalist when he was a teenager and like that is cool and the dude loves games like i have no doubt of that but he also kind of always leaves out the part that like his like family's extreme wealth and connections like are the reason he was able to kind of do what he does and that's i think why you see him be so focused on like oh i better have like three 
movie stars be, be a part of this thing. Um, uh, you know, people keep complaining about how long my shows are, but I'm just going to ignore that. And I'm just going to put more of the stuff I want in it, which it's his show. So he can do that. But it's just Summer Game Fest, as much as it seems like a relatively small number of people want it to, it's just never going to replace E3. Like the E3 experience is just gone now. Any and anything even resembling it is gone. Um, you know, the Summer Game Fest is supposed to have this in-person event. Well, so far, I've only heard of that two, the two days after his showcase, I believe on June 8th, there's going to be like a media event where journalists will be there. I'm assuming regular people are, are a part of this eventually, but we don't know. One of the big knocks I saw recently about E3 before it was canceled, obviously, was that they weren't given enough information. We didn't know, you know, who was going to be there, you know, what, what the tickets were going to cost, you know, how all that stuff was going to work. And it shows a week or two after Summer Game Fest. We don't know any of that stuff about Summer Game Fest either. So it's like, it's just weird to me that they're being treated with such different attitudes. Um, even though Summer Game Fest last year was bad, and this year we don't know anything about it. So, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting. I don't like want to see my, like I'm like bitter or something. I obviously like E3. It's my preferred thing. I'm, I'm not even annoyed with like Keeley and, and what he does. I think the Game Awards are pretty good. They're still too long. They're still too much the Keeley show, but they're, they're pretty cool. It's a cool event. Um, but like Summer Game Fest last year wasn't good. And Gamescom opening night, whatever he called it, was worse. It was so bad. It was like embarrassingly bad. So I just like, I'm kind of like in a pull up or shut up thing. If he's going to keep making all, taking all these shots at, the, at E3 and making all these petty tweets and all this stuff. This SGF better be better than any E3's ever been. And it, it's not going to be. It'll be cool. They'll have a couple cool announcements and there'll be some good stuff, but I bet there's more complaints than there are compliments and it's not going to change anything. I've made the joke that it's going to be a four hour show and it's going to be three hours of ads, 45 minutes of celebrities and Kojima talking about the podcast for 15 minutes. And that's going to be the whole show. I'm obviously joking kind of but like i don't know it, it's just bumming me out i i i i could be okay with the e3 we kind of saw that coming but then all the toxicity and the ugliness and stuff that's come along with it like 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 make fun of the esa the esa are are weird and and it seems like they're kind of dumb when they'll handle the stuff very well um but read pop seemed like they were trying and Keely, I really just don't think has a foot to really stand on here. Like, I really don't think he's earned the platform to just dunk on this all the time. Um, he, he's got to like show up himself first before he, you know, does this. So I think moving forward, it, it's going to be interesting. I saw an interview with the head of the ESA and they were asking some pretty pointed, like very specific questions. Like, is it coming back next year? Are you thinking about doing something different? What do you think went wrong? And they were given the company line hard. They were not really given any useful information to take anything from. It was just vague responses over and over. What you could take from them and, and what I did is that the ESA thinks that E3 is coming back next year. Uh, that they at least that's their goal at least um like i said before i i think that they they may just they, they could take a year off 
and then try to do a big show again. I still think next year they would be really smart to just get in with all the big publishers and the first parties and just be like, look, we aren't going to try to drag you to, to some show. We will do like a little fan event and maybe we'll do like an industry event um, that will be like, it could be separate things and they could be relatively small. Um, but our focus is going to be getting like picking a week in June and getting all of you ready um, and getting all of you organized to space out, have your time in the sun and just hit us with some cool announcements and everyone's going to know exactly when they're happening. It's going to be all under the same umbrella. And then they start with that. And if that goes well, then the next year, maybe they try to make the in-person show a little bigger. Maybe they pull in a couple people, um, a couple of these publishers who were hesitant before because things go well. And then they try to build it back up slowly instead of just trying to dive headfirst. Like it kind of seems like they did this time. So I'm bummed about E3 2023. Um, I don't think it's done, but if it is, I also wouldn't be surprised. It's one of those things where I've, I'm kind of expecting the worst and hoping for the best. Um, I just really fear that if they try again next year, it's just going to end the same way. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm really interested. It would almost be interesting next year to see them like have their name on some stuff, but not make a big fuss and then maybe slowly try to rebuild, but we'll see. I sure hope they do. Uh, the second story uh, today will be uh, Dragon Age Dreadwolf news. And so this is kind of a, a few things all put together. So this week we found out that Mark Dara, uh, who is kind of the lead on Anthem and I believe Inquisition. Um, and I think he worked on Andromeda as well. Um, and he retired in 2020 uh, the, at the same time that Casey Hudson had come back and then he was retiring again as well to go and start off uh, his humanoid studios uh, studio. And um, Mark Dar is back. Now he's not actually back with Bioware as an employee. He's back as a consultant. If you watch Mark Dara's like development education videos, you'll hear him talk um, pretty bluntly about how he charges a ton of money to be a consultant, especially for AAA studios. And it sounds like he actually reached out to Bioware. Um, my assumption is that he still knows plenty of people at Bioware and he was maybe getting a hint that they were struggling to get Dreadwolf out the door. And that it sounds like he kind of, uh, and I wouldn't even be surprised if someone kind of nudged him and said, Hey, maybe ask so-and-so if you can, uh, come work with us for a few months and, and we'll, uh, get this game out the door. That's my guess. At least, um, it, it, it's really interesting because he, um, if you don't remember, or if you didn't listen, I, I interviewed Mark last year, last summer. Uh, it was really cool. It was really interesting talking to him about game development and stuff like that. Um, what was interesting that he did was last September when Dragon Age Dreadwolf uh, announced that they hit alpha, which for Bioware is considered post-production, which is significant. He did a video that talked a lot about how Bioware used to treat that stage of the game um he had said that like inquisition the previous dragon age game went from alpha to released in stores and on consoles in six months now that's obviously not happening here and he said as much back then that he fully expected the game to probably come out in the final th uh, fourth of 2023 so between october and december um, obviously he's not speculating on those things now because he is there and working on it. He actually posted a, um, 
a short on YouTube today of him standing in front of a Bioware sign. So he must be back in the office and doing his thing. And um, I'm really curious to how that works out. I, I really believe I've seen some people be like, oh, man, they must be delaying until 2024, 25. I think this is actually more reinforcement for my theory that Dra uh, Dragon Age Dreadwolf comes in 2023. I think this is a, a push to the finish line, bring in someone with tons of experience who knows what they're doing and let's bring them in and let's um, let's get this thing done. The other big thing, the big move they're making, um, there was a big statement by the head of Bioware talking about all this stuff and there's been some interviews since uh, and mark has made another video which he basically just confirmed everything but the head of the studio also stated that um, some of the mass effect pre-production team will be working on dreadwolf to get it out the door this is further proof in my opinion that they are trying to get this done this year when i thought more about it and i touched base with some devs i know i was kind of saying like what kind of staff from a pre-production team would be useful to a team that's like fully staffed that's trying to get a game out the door and and the guesses i got from people was mostly like like mike gamble like the the, the directors of mass effect are probably not being shared it's probably any of the frontline people they do have it's probably a fairly small team right now for pre-production but they probably do have environmental people and, and mission designers and animators and stuff to do some of the conceptual work and things like that and so they're probably sharing those people they're, they're probably sending them over to help finish some things up and to be an extra you know a few sets of hands so we don't know that it's pure speculation on my part um i i think my biggest concern is, you know, my big thing, if you've listened to me enough, you'll know that I basically want Dreadwolf to get released because I am like kind of curious about it, but I also want it out of Mass Effect's way. I want Dreadwolf to come out so they can start assigning people to the Mass Effect project and we can start seeing some movement there. Is this going to affect that? I mean, you have to assume it will in some capacity. You know, could it be a matter of maybe the game comes out a few weeks later than it would have because of this? Hopefully, it, maybe it means it comes out months later. Uh, you know, we just don't know, and we probably never will, short of maybe uh, a, a bad uh, interview answer years from now when someone asks about what happened. Um, there was some kind of weirdness this week where ea posted um like record profits or at least very healthy profits and at the same time announced uh that they were laying off like 800 people um this is this is kind of how these things work there's um, we don't know who's getting laid off i haven't seen any talk on the on, on twitter and stuff from people saying they've been laid off i assume they know i believe it said they started the process a while ago um I've seen a lot of people being like, well, this is them just cutting people because they see other people doing it. I don't think that's probably entirely the case. My guess is that there's just some redundant positions or positions that don't have work right now and they're cutting them. Um, there's very likely, and, and even part of the statement said that they were trying to focus on games that were gonna provide good experiences and stuff. Well, that's probably kind of code talk for we're cutting you know, people like, like they're probably cutting positions from games that haven't been greenlit and are, are probably shut down. So, you know, there's dozens of those people, if not hundreds of those people could be from dev teams that were working on a concept and it's just not going to happen. So they're going to cut them off. It could be more QA people. They laid off some QA people a few months ago. You know, it, who knows? We'll probably hear something eventually, but we haven't yet. 
Um, I've been an eagle eye on Bioware to see if there's anyone who's been talking about layoffs. I haven't seen a single mention of it. And obviously as well, I haven't seen anyone saying that they got laid off. So I'm kind of curious to see when that bubbles up to the surface, uh, who it's going to end up being and um, you know what, what places it's affected the most. But right now we don't know and we will just have to wait and see. Uh, the last thing here, I am doing a giveaway for a Mass Effect merch bundle. Uh, I posted it to YouTube and got uh, smacked for a week, as you may know. So I am not going to post the link anywhere near YouTube. But if you go to twitter.com slash bonddiesel, my pinned tweet as an entry link, and you can get your entries uh, for that giveaway bundle there. It's a, a Normandy SR2 model ship. It is a, um, a light up uh, blade. It is a, I'm going to have to think about it, um, a keychain and uh, a mug, a uh, Commander Shepard mug. So um, get on it, uh, go enter into that giveaway. It is US only. Um, so please make sure that you fit into that. And uh, yeah, check out my uh, Twitter for that link. The third story, CMA relaxes on Xbox ABK acquisition. So we found out this week that uh, it seems like the CMA is kind of pulling back a bit. Uh, this news obviously kind of got trounced and it may have even been talked about a little bit last week. But what it's basically come down to is that some of the moves they made, um, the CMA is satisfied with it. They're moving on. We've seen. I want to say, was it India or someone approved this deal? I, I think the dominoes are going to start to fall. Um, it seems like the people at the FTC um, and in the United States who are in charge of approving or denying the deal are basically going to grandstand a bit, but they're going to approve it as well. And there's a there's a talk that this deal could be approved by June. Uh, which I want because I want to play Diablo 4 and send back my uh, my pre-order or get my money back for that and maybe do like one of the upgraded versions uh, and only pay for the upgrade. So we will see about that. I think that deal is imminently closing. Speaking of Diablo 4, they released a bunch of their stats from their betas. And so here are some of them. People played 61 million hours. There were 46 million player deaths. The players killed 29 billion NPCs. There was a kind of a random boss who would spawn on you. Uh, most, I think mostly in dungeons called the butcher. They got, uh, they, they were uh, successfully defeated 500,000 times. And there was a world boss that you could eventually get to. I didn't know this. I, I will know this now when I play the actual game. But we um, they we, we killed that boss a hundred thousand times. So um, now you can see some of the other stats, like how many people died to those bosses, and people just got obliterated. Like millions of people got killed by them. But um, yeah, that that beta was great. I was extremely impressed by it. Um, I, I I am addicted. I cannot wait uh, for Diablo Four to come out. Um, I'm ready. Um, it is. The, the nearest game that's coming that I'm really excited about. Um, Starfield, the next one, but that's not until September now. So we have Diablo 4 in June. And I know there's a smattering of games in there that I'm kind of excited about. And there's some big games that I'm sure other people are excited about. You know, just little titles um, that, that no one's ever thought about before. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for this. I, I, I always 
knew I liked Diablo from the times I had tried it out, but I never have like dove in headfirst. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be a big one for me. So brace yourselves if you pay attention to my content. Okay, uh, there is uh, another thing about Diablo. There is a Diablo Xbox bundle now available for pre-order and some people are freaking out because it's weird. So it seems like people are confusing that, that this is a bundle where you end up getting everything for like $10 cheaper than normal, which it's 10 bucks, but it's also 10 bucks, right? But the big thing is it seems like people are confusing this with like special edition Xbox. So people were expecting the Series X to have like devil horns or to be red or something. And it's not. It's just a Series X. Um, and, and that's kind of what I expect with a bundle. My big thing is I really hope these same people had the same energy for, I believe, uh, God of War Ragnarok. And I think Horizon Zero, um, Horizon Forbidden West had bundles as well with just normal PS5s. And then a bundled, I think it was like a PS5 with an included controller an extra controller in the game or something and that was it it wasn't you know and with playstation it's even easier for them to customize because they can just pop those panels off and put on custom ones right and they didn't do that because it's a bundle it's not a special edition so this whole thing when i saw it seemed kind of silly i um you know this just seems like i've noticed that since this abk deal is getting closer and closer to almost certainly being passed I've noticed that especially journalists have been cropping up these like kind of lame stories that were like, are kind of like attacking Xbox over stuff that's like kind of silly. And it, it almost seems like they're kind of trying to poison the well a bit before they get a bunch of really good news. Um, at the same time, these kind of kind of drama stories get lots of clicks, I'm sure. And um, to a point, you can't blame people for covering it because it's, you know, if you're looking for clicks, that's what you got to do. So. I think this is a big dud of a story, um, just like it would have been if it was talked about with the PlayStation bundles. Just buy the games and play them. Stop being turds. That's what that's what I have to say about it. Uh, the BAFTA Awards were um, Thursday night, and this is the uh, kind of like the the British Game Awards. They and they do awards for like movies and TV and things like that as well. Um, and I learned something about this. So. Uh, one, I was very sad to see that A Plague Tale Requiem still didn't get any big awards. They were nominated for a few, so that makes me happy. There was one category. It was like backup, like MP, like um, uh, like the secondary character voice actors, and there were like six nominations, and four of them were God of War Ragnarok. Now, I'm not denying the prowess of these people. I'm sure all four of them had spectacular performances, but it's like I don't know. Do you really need to make you know, more than half of the nominees from one game, like maybe spread the love a little bit because it was obvious who was going to win it. It was a it was a girl who plays one of the characters in the game um, in, in Ragnarok. But I don't know. Um, and then they gave the game of the year award, which they call the best game award to Vampire Survivors. Let me take a big breath on that one. That game, I had I had so much fun with it. Um, I'm sure I talked about it on the podcast. Um, and, and for a few weeks, I played quite a bit of Vampire Survivors. And then I didn't because it doesn't do anything new. It just does existing things really well. But it's just, 
I'm not like obviously I'm not a big fan of Ragnarok. I'm not a huge fan of Elden Ring. Those just aren't my games. Um, but but surely like this this isn't really better than those. Like this seems like such a protest award than anything. Now I did um, see some chatter that Vampire Survivors is made by a British dev team and that they legitimately have a extremely British uh, bias. I guess when um, the, what the, the big Zelda game, um, the year it came out, it didn't win theirs either, even though it was like universally 10 out of 10 by basically everyone. So in, in, in favor of a British developed game. So I don't know. I, this is coming from someone who really liked Vampire Survivors. I don't know if that game would have even been in my top 10 last year. Like it was neat. But it's just a glorified mobile game that, in my opinion, got very boring pretty quick after playing it off and on for a couple of weeks. And then, um, honestly, the DLC was like a dollar and I felt ripped off by it. I thought the DLC sucked. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was bad. In fact, um, I guess just because it didn't pull me back in, maybe that's a me problem. I don't know. Um, and now I guess they're doing another DLC and I'm like, I mean, obviously people are still playing this, but I don't know, like why? I just don't get it. But maybe that's my problem and not theirs. I still think that was a very sus uh, best game award, even though you'll see a bunch of game journos losing their mind over it. So good for them, I guess. Uh, we had some Avatar Frontiers of Pandora news for the seventh story today. And they uh, there's some leaked screenshots. It's like two of this game. They're very blurry. They're very low res and they look fine the one i can remember uh it appears that it's a navi one of the big blue people holding a gun and pointing it at one of the big mechs that the humans use um I, there's some mixed reaction on this it's an ubisoft game so people of course are gonna do the whole like ubisoft sucks routine um this is being made by ubisoft massive which at least to me is a big boost um ubisoft massive makes the division games uh, and has a history of making other really great games as well i i don't see the problem here this is you know to make a game like this popular it has to be a shooter i still do think that it being first person is weird i think this absolutely should be a third person game but we'll have to actually see it i guess before i can really throw that out there but um uh, i mean it, it looked fine i i saw some people saying that it like reminded them of like titanfall where you're probably gonna have these like you know the navi with some of their special skills and abilities against these humans and like mechs and and using like mechanical means to try to match up with the navi who if you haven't seen the movies um the navi are twice as tall as the humans and they're muscular and huge and they can like oh i guess a good example is uh in the first movie i haven't actually seen the second one yet there's moments where they're using uh, Navi and humans are walking together on like military patrol and the humans are carrying their guns and the Navi are carrying guns that are meant to be carried by the robots. These like big giant chain guns and they're carrying them around just like it's a rifle because they're so big. Um, I think this has a lot of potential. I, I, I've seen people kind of complain about it. Um, I've seen, oh, this is just going to be Far Cry with, with uh, Avatar, which it could be, but... I don't think I don't think Massive is like that. I don't think they're going to fully sell out and just make a classic Ubisoft game. I, I think they'll do something unique. Um, I do hope that there is a, a exploration of the beauty, um, because whether you like Avatar or not, like 
it is like a graphical masterpiece and like it is a beautiful world and so i hope this game isn't just pure action and fighting and all that all the time because you know that that world and that engine they're put it's on the snowdrop engine which is what the division and various other uh, ubisoft games are on it's a beautiful engine it makes beautiful environments so i really hope um, that they go all in on that to make it a showcase for what should be a newer version of snowdrop than what a game like the division 2 had um I mean, I don't really know what to think of it. We don't know much about it yet. These screenshots didn't even give us that much info. It just kind of showed us what we already knew. So I'm, I'm really curious to see more about this. I mean, Ubisoft is doing a mid-June uh, Ubisoft Forward, their showcase. This is like a 105% guarantee to show up there. And I wouldn't be surprised if it releases late this year. I can um, maybe on like the one year anniversary of the second movie or something. I could see that. So we'll have to wait and see um, if you're excited about it. Cool. If you're not, then we'll move on. Uh, the final story today and the eighth story uh, is Multiverses ends their beta and promises to return. This was a weird story. Um, Multiverses, if you didn't know, if you haven't seen it or seen anything about it, it's essentially a uh, like a smash game um like smash brothers for nintendo but it's um it's from it's multi-platform and it's using uh you know marvel characters and things like that and so what's weird about it is that when it came out i don't ever remember it being talked about as an open beta apparently it was and i've seen people like confirming that but i remember that game because it started off really hot it was doing very well it was very popular and i never remember during all of that hype hearing anyone say like oh it's a shame it's a beta it's gonna go away one day i don't remember that at all on top of that they were happily selling skins and other microtransactions on a game that they have now shut down and the assumption is they are going to bring it back in like a 1.0 version or something like that but part of the reason some people think it was shut down was because they um, only were carrying um, something like, uh, it was less than a thousand people uh, at, at any given time uh, recently. And that's not good enough. Like that's not good enough for one of those type of games for a, I believe free to play multiplayer game that requires other people. Now, maybe the console numbers were better for it, but even if they were quadruple the numbers, that's still not enough people to sustain a game. So there's some people who think it really is coming back, who's keeping, you know, taking them at their word. I think that's fair for now. But if we end up finding out a few months from now that they've said, uh, guys, actually, we've decided to not bring this back and we'll issue refunds for the microtransactions. But this game's just dead. That wouldn't surprise me. Even an itty bitty amount. But we'll have to wait and see. Listener questions, if you have any of your own, be sure to ask in my Discord, uh, in the YouTube comments, or hit me up on Twitter, at Bondiesel or at the EchoCast. This week, we have a question from Master Prime, who says, is it better to adapt a book or a novel to a game than into a movie? Now, I'm going to take this question kind of on my own and say, like, and, and answer it, and would it be better to take a book and make it into a game, a um, or, or, or vice versa as well. So take a book and make it into a game or a movie. Well, I, I think it depends on the book, right? Like I think uh, The Hunger Games 
Um, I love those movies. I've never actually read the books because I'm illiterate. I don't read books. But I think those movies could have made a really good game. Like think about like a Hunger Games trilogy of games, uh, video games, and like The Last of Us kind of feel where it's like gritty and real and brutal. And you're getting to see you know these these different parts of of their world and you're you go to the capital and you see this beautiful place and then you get thrown into you know maybe it's not about you know katniss maybe it's about the different games that they did and you see these new arenas that we've never seen even in the books or the games or the movies um i i think that i think that can be really cool like that could have been a really cool video game now, at the same time, we've seen novels get made into games that didn't work, and maybe they would have been better as a movie. So I think it really depends on what it is. Um, now, if you go the other way, if you take um, you know games into novels, work really well. We've seen that with The Division, with the Mass Effect series. Almost every modern gaming franchise seems to have books or comics, and I've seen that most people tend to enjoy them. Um, now, when it comes to um, doing... Uh, you know, books from like, like movies from games, we've seen that go the other way, right? Um, we, we've seen it not work out so well. So um, I, I think it just depends. So to your actual question, um, I, I just kind of thought of the Hunger Games thing off the top of my head. But then now as I'm sitting here, it's like processing. I'm like, damn, like if you basically had like an Ellie like character who she starts off kind of not knowing how to handle herself. And then, you know, you, you kind of through the series, she gets more and more tough. You would have like, like Ellie or like Laura Croft in that reboot. Um, that actually sounds really good. Uh, so let's get that. Um, let's get that Hunger Games video game going. Uh, actually, I'm pretty sure there are games for the movies, but I'm fairly certain they were the terrible licensed games and uh, not what I'm thinking. Thank you very much for your question, Master Prime. If any of you have your own questions or topics for next week, please let me know somehow. There's lots of ways to do it. And that's where we're going to start to wrap things up. This is a little bit shorter of an episode, but I'm happy to be able to post it immediately and not have to wait a week on YouTube. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback or any suggestions on things for me to do during the show, um, to advertise, to, to help keep growing this show. Um, I'm open ears. Let me know. I, I'm happy to hear you. Uh, you can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel um, on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and on Twitch. Uh, make sure to enter my giveaway for the Mass Effect merch bundle. That link is on my at Bond Diesel Twitter. And uh, that's all I have. So until next time. I'm not a good person. 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 I'm not a good person.